Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on November 9th, 2014. Today's message is titled, Keep Your Fingers Off by Dr. Lyle Schrag and is based on scripture, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Well, good morning once again, and on this uh, Sunday before Remembrance Day, I think it's probably only appropriate for me to ask, uh, for those of you who have served in the armed forces, if you would just stand for just a moment. I stand as a veteran, but from an ally uh, in the United States, uh, being in the Coast Guard. But if any of you have served in the uh, armed forces, of, of please, please, please rise. No one? Well, I was going to say thank you for your service, but I'll say that to myself. <laughs> In fact, if you could just take a moment with me as we pray. And gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we pray with thanksgiving for those who have served us and served us well, Lord, in a sacrificial way and have gone into harm's way. And Lord, uh, with remembrance, we we, we hold to heart those who have served and those who have given their lives. And they have done so, Lord, for us and for our freedoms. And we thank you for that. And Lord, the greatest sacrifice of all was given for our freedom, and that was through Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the salvation that we have in him and for the freedom we have now, Lord, to serve you and to serve you, Lord, with our whole heart. I pray that, Lord, as we open your word and as we, as we, we, we seek your heart and as we see what really matters most, that, Lord, our lives might be conformed to your image and that in obedience to your command on our lives, we might serve you and lift your name on high. This we pray in the powerful name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Before I begin this morning, I must also thank the congregation. I've, I, was, I was actually quite touched as I came in this morning. People were coming up and asking, so how was your time in Myanmar? And for the last three weeks, uh, I have been in, well, what is commonly known as Burma, uh, teaching in uh, a seminary and teaching among uh, people who are serving in the villages and the hamlets and the churches uh, throughout Burma in Rangoon or Yango and uh, Mandalay, which is still known as Mandalay, which is very nice. Uh, it was a wonderful trip. Um, it was a very powerful trip. It was a very God moment sort of experience for me, and plus it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, I, I have tremendous memories from the affection of these people. They were just, tr they were just so responsive and and appreciative and. Uh, and a lot of fun as well, and especially whenever they shared some of their food with me. I was meeting with a number of them. They invited me to come over, and they had this little bowl of what looked like toasted nuts. Here, have some, and I took some, and I realized that the texture was not quite a nut, and I looked, and I saw that they were fried cockroaches, and uh, <laughs> yummy. So I got my protein while I was away. 
it was a delightful time. And they were teaching me how to speak the language as well. So if anybody here does speak Burmese, Mingalaba. And I can probably say along from the whole time, I can be able to say Chinwe Bade, which is praise God. In fact, I'll, I'll teach you that phrase. It's Chin, Chin, again, Wei, Bade, Chinwe Bade, Chinwe Bade. Ah, oh, we're all Burmese. That's great. Chinwe Bade, that's right. We're coming back now to the, uh, or I'm coming back now to the Ten Commandments, and you have been following them through. Thank you so much, uh, Isaac, for calling, following through with the teaching on this time. And at first, when you said we're at the Eighth Commandment, I'm sitting there going, oh yeah, okay, it was the Eighth Commandment that I was studying for this week. I, I, I got, had a little moment there where I thought, oh, I thought I was doing the Seventh, but it is the Eighth Commandment. And it's the one that says, and it's probably the simplest and the, and the most sure commandment of all, and it's one that we probably, you know, should probably leave unsaid because everybody knows what it means and we all should do it, but I'm going to go ahead and preach on it anyway. A number of years ago, whenever Bethany Baptist Church was located not too far from here, I would go over to the YMCA and a group of us would go up and during our lunch hours and run up to Queen Elizabeth Park around the conservatory and run all the way back down. I found myself actually running one time by myself. And I, as I was running down the road, I, there was a lady who was obviously walking home from the grocery store. She had her little cart with her. And uh, I happened to be going faster than she was. Um, <laughs> she was walking with her cart. Uh, I guess you could call it running, but I think I probably qualify more as a fast shuffler. But I was coming up behind her, and I had to pass her, and I, I didn't think too much of it until just as I was coming up beside her, and suddenly she swung her purse and smacked me right in the face with her purse, just hit me right on the button and just about dropped me like a shot. I, and I, I thought maybe my nose had broken. And when I got up, I looked at her and I said, what are you doing? What was that all about? Inquiring minds want to know. And her answer was very simple. She said to me, she goes, I thought you were going to rob me. Apparently she had had her purse snatched about a month earlier, and she was not about to let that happen again. And when you think about it, it does make a lot of sense. You hear footsteps coming up behind you, and you, and, and, and you respond, especially if you've been a victim. In, in these days, I'm sticking to a treadmill. It's a lot safer. Now, how many of you have been a victim of theft? Just raise your hands if you have been a victim of theft. Okay. If you've ever had anything taken from you, you know what it's like to, to carry with you that feeling of anger and frustration. Who, who knows how you suffered your loss? Maybe it was a burglar. Maybe it was petty larceny. Or maybe, as it is in these days, uh, identity theft. Questions begin to scream out in your soul and you're asking yourself the question, who would do such a thing? What did I ever do to them? And, and how am I ever going to recover from this loss? And part of it may be that our identity is in fact wrapped up in our possessions. Some more valuable than others. Uh, we lose a wedding ring. It's gone. That hurts. Uh, an heirloom disappears. It hurts. But it is really more than that. We, we suddenly realize that the basic agreement of respect, that social contract 
uh, has been violated. What we share with others has been shredded, and we find ourselves offended as a result. Have you ever had that feeling? You're not alone. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, you'll realize it is something that God takes to heart as well and takes it as an offense just as deeply as we do. And thus he commands a very simple phrase. You shall not steal. Now, in the process of studying this command, I've come across a number of debates, some theological, some biblical, that raise the question of personal property. Why, if we didn't own anything, well, then there would be nothing to steal, right? So let me get one thing straight about this. In the Bible, the assumption is made that over the course of a lifetime, you can, people can, expect to own a certain amount of property, and that it's okay. You can own property. Now, it's also assumed that whatever is owned is also legally gained. Okay, let's, let's take that as part of the biblical teaching as well. And when you study the scriptures, you will find that our possessions, we accrue these possessions due to diligent labor and wise investment. We read in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 28, that we are to labor, performing with our own hands what is good. We are to work. A work ethic is good. And in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 12, we are commanded and urged in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread we eat. <laughs> labor is good. Possessions rightfully gained are okay. So let's be clear. If we are honest in our labor, the biblical expectation is that we will, in fact, end up possessing things. In fact, the Bible goes on to indicate that our testimony before the world will be balanced on our performance in the marketplace. You heard that passage read in 1 Thessalonians. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. That's what it says in the Bible. And that's a worthy ambition. But God also knows that along the way, things may go wrong. They go wrong in our world, and they go wrong in our lives. And the question is, why do they go wrong? And if you said sin is the answer, you'd be correct. <clears throat> it's something that affects, sin is something that affects the world around us and within us as well. It creates an environmental condition that we breathe every day and conditions that make theft and stealing an ever-present reality. And I'm not just talking about theft in terms of a felony, armed robbery scale. I'm talking about even simple things, like taking home paper clips from the office. According to the United States Department of Commerce, employee theft costs businesses over $50 billion annually, employee thefts. The Chamber of Commerce estimates that 75% of all employees steal at least once a month, and that at least half of those steal 
as a habit. In fact, the Chamber of Commerce reports that one of every three business failures are the direct result of employee theft. One in three. And my guess is that if you were to ask any uh, 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 of these employers caught, uh, um, employees caught stealing something, they would probably shrug it off by saying, well, that's the way things are. Everybody does it. They can afford to lose it. I needed it. I took it. So what? We live in an atmosphere that has been polluted by sin that labors under a certain spirit that can, in fact, take over our lives. I was fascinated by a recent poll that suggested that there is no difference in attitude between churched and unchurched people when it comes to cheating on an expense accounts and tax reports. And yet God expects so much more. And he expects us to make a difference. And thus he says, do not steal. Do not steal. Do not steal. The Barna Research Group discovered that born-again teens are just as likely to engage in music piracy as non-Christian teens. Non-Christian teens, 81%. Christian teens, 77%. Illegally steal music. What, what got me about that report was that only 10% of the Christian teens actually believed that copying CDs and unauthorized music downloading was, in fact, morally wrong. They thought, what's wrong with that? Only 10%. What made it worse is that of the Christian teens who believe that music piracy is morally wrong, 60% go ahead and do it anyway. Do not steal. Do not steal. Listen, I have no idea how that temptation may play out in your lives to take something which is not yours. I have to believe that the chances are slim that there is anyone here who is just itching to go out and rob a bank. Well, maybe you're itching to, but you're not going to do it, okay? But I also have to suspect that there are those here who are engaged in a struggle of soul when it comes to this issue of possessions. It's a struggle that circles around things, where we get caught up in the business of acquisition, where we are fooled by our sense of wanting or driven by a sense of need, where we are tempted to sacrifice just even a little bit of our soul and our integrity for the sake of possessing just a little bit of the world it was Jesus who issued the warning in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. What would it profit any man if he gains the world and forfeits his own soul? I remember as a young pastor hearing an older pastor tell the story of how one day, as being a pastor of a large city in Chicago, he got on a bus and in the rush of the crowd, as he paid the driver for his ticket, he didn't pay any attention to the change he received. As he sat down, he counted his change, and he realized that a mistake had been made, and he was holding about $10 more than he had paid. To his credit, he confessed that his first thought was, God is so good. God is so good. He really loves me. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills, and he just milked one just for me. But then he, it, it struck him. 
that driver was going to be the one who was going to get milked if the, bill, if the books did not balance. And so as he, as he left the bus at, at his stop, he informed the driver of the mistake, and he gave back the $10. Oh, it wasn't a mistake, the driver said. You don't know me, but I've been going to your church for the last few months. But this is the first time I've really, ever really had a chance to meet you, and I just wanted to see if you really meant what you said. And now I guess I've got my answer. I'll see you next Sunday. You, my dear friends, shall not steal. There is so much more on the line than you could ever imagine. But, if you, but you may ask, if I'm not tempted to rob a bank or steal from an employer or have any interest in downloading music, how is it possible that I would be tempted to steal? Let me suggest a few ways, and I've listed them on the sermon outline, and they're on the PowerPoint as well. The first is probably the most obvious. I don't have to say much more about it. I have it down as dispossession, and that is actual theft that we can all identify, the five-finger discount. That's where you see something, you know it's not yours, you know it belongs to somebody else, and you just go ahead and take it anyway. You shall not steal. My guess is that when most of you saw that this was going to be the commandment for the day, that is what you had in mind. And now that we've said it, uh, we're done but not so fast. There's more. The second is what I call deprivation. That is where you take something legitimately, but then end up deciding to lay claim to it for yourself. Like, say, the neighbor's ladder. You borrowed it two years ago to wash your windows. But somehow it, it remained in your garage. I don't know how that happened. But after two years, you look at it and just make the assumption it's yours. Have you ever experienced that? Years ago, my wife and I, we were getting ready to move from Chicago to come to Vancouver. Uh, one of the members of our church had a garage sale, and I went and I, and I, and I saw that she was selling books, and I was thrilled to find that, that there were a few there on her table that I could really use to replace a few of the books that I had lost from my library. And yet when I opened them up, Guess what? They were my books. <laughs> my name was right there. Uh, and and I, I kind of pointed out to her, and she was shocked. She was a church librarian. And uh, so <laughs> we made an appointment that week, and we went to the church library, and going through, we found about 10 more of my books. And I was thrilled. And when we went to her house, we found more that had been missing. You know what I'm talking about? Dispos deprivation. You shall not steal. I, I smiled with her about it. We laugh about it here right now. You shall not steal. There's another. I have it down as defrauding. That's where we are tempted to shave the truth, to, to, to kind of lean on a, a level of deceit and cheat. As far back as the Old Testament, that has been a problem. Really. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 23, we read that differing weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false scale is not good. <laughs> Understand that Norman Rockwell actually, actually painted a scene that explains that quite well. Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 23. 
He painted a scene, and in the painting, a lady is trying to buy a chicken from a butcher in the shop. And in the picture, they both have beads of sweat dripping down their brows as they face each other over the scale. And on his side, he is secretly trying to push the scale down with his thumb. Well, on her side, she's secretly trying to pry the scale up with her purse. And, then she, and, and, and they're pushing, and they can't quite get it. I look at that, and I laugh. But then I have to wonder, what happens when that becomes the way we live our lives? Add a bit here, shave a bit there. Just talk to a businessman who has a sales staff that pads their accounts as a regular practice, and suddenly it loses its humor. You shall not steal. So we've got dispossession, deprivation, defrauding, and one more, delusion. That's where you think that you can sidestep your actions and avoid the consequences. It's like being in a, in a parking lot. And, and, you, and you back up and you happen to hit another car. And then you drive away because you think to yourself, no one saw me do it. I'm reminded of, there, of, a, of a school where a basket of apples sat on a dining room table, and a note under the basket said, Take only one. God is watching. And at the other end of the dining uh, room, there, there was another basket filled with chocolate chip cookies. And in child's handwriting, a note was underneath the basket that read, Take all the cookies you want. God's watching the apples. <laughs> you shall not steal. Now, my guess is that if I, I reached out far enough, the consequences of this command would, in fact, end up touching every single one of us here in some way, shape, or form. While there are some here who have been hurt by the actions of others, my guess is that there are some here who have, truth be told, ended up hurting others by their actions. You can't be in control of other people's actions, but you can certainly be in control of yours. And under enough scrutiny of the Spirit, things may come to your mind and moments might arise where you realize that under any of these conditions, you have in fact stolen from someone else. And it may be that the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and our lives in a very practical way to bring us to that point where we say, I've got to make it right. In 2001, the English evangelist J.J. John went throughout England speaking on the Ten Commandments. The BBC, BBC reporter Cedric Pulford was at one of his meetings in Liverpool when he spoke on this Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. And as he reported what happened, the results were dramatic. He said the bins were set outside the church where the meetings were held. And as he writes, he said, conscious stricken people began handing in large quantities of stolen goods, including hotel towels, cash, the inventory of pilfered items, including hospital crutches. Now, who would steal a hospital? Uh, library books, <laughs> CDs, videotapes, computers, shovels, I don't get that one at all. And a mound of letters of confession that were laid into the bins. Now, I don't know what the Holy Spirit might stir up. In your heart, I know how he stirs up in mine. As I consider his command, you shall not steal. 
But I do know this, the Holy Spirit does stir the heart. And when he does stir the heart, he empowers you and me to be able to live out God's desires, God's commandments, and this being the Eighth Commandment. We read in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, that we are to live new lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22, to put off our former way of life and put put, put off our old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. And in verse uh, 23, read that we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In obedience to his claim on my life, my heart is open for the Holy Spirit to be at work. And that is not just a theoretical process. It is very, very practical. You want to be righteous? You want to be holy? The very next words in Ephesians then make it happen. Therefore, he says in verse 28, Paul writes in chapter 4, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. He must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. You and I have got some work to do. And, 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 and the first piece of that work, I have it on your outline, is that we need to recognize our problem. In Jeremiah chapter 7, God sends the prophet to awaken the conscience of his people. It's, it's, it's through the working of the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and Jeremiah writes, <clears throat> Jeremiah 7 verse 7, Look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. In verse 9, will will you steal? Verse 10, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these things. Verse 11, has my house become a den of robbers to you? And then in verse 11, it ends by, but I have been watching, declares the Lord. I would like to think that when God's people gather together in his presence, that when God's people open their hearts in worship, that, that it would allow us to see the world as God sees it, but even more, that the, the worship itself would allow us to see our lives as God sees us. And in that, that there might be a quickening of the power of the Holy Spirit that reveals those parts in our lives that require correction and guidance. And that if we were wholly honest in our worship, that we would quickly recognize and own and deal with an honest and obedient heart. Have you ever had that moment of conviction? That moment of realization that has been brought about by the Holy Spirit? It it, it is quickly followed by a second step where in, in recognition then we move to repentance. And the Bible is filled with examples of such a moment. In the Gospel of Luke, there is a powerful one related to this commandment. In Luke chapter 19, the encounter between Zacchaeus and Jesus, the tax collector, who was stunned into realizing his lifestyle of theft and is so, so sorry. Jesus welcomes such a heart. And he he gently receives such a, a confession of repentance And he does it not just for Zacchaeus, he does it for you, and he does it for me. And of that, it breaks my heart with thanksgiving. 
And in that very same passage in Luke 19, that repentance then quickly turns to the third critical step, which is restitution. I love verse 8 where it reads, Zacchaeus stood up. He had fallen on his face before Jesus in repentance, but now he stands up. And it's a new day for him when he stands. And and Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Four times. You've got to make things right. And as you do, something very wonderful happens. On the heavenly side, Jesus offers a next step that goes beyond just restitution, and he provides then a reward when he says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. You don't have to read too far to sense the freedom and the relief, the joy of this forgiven man. That is his reward. It's a personal thing, but you also don't have to read any further to realize that one's man's action unleashed something even greater, and that is the last of those steps, revival. The joy of salvation was dropped on the whole house. One person's honest obedience produced a blessing for so many others. Just think what would happen here or in your home or at your work or around your house, were you to set things straight in obedience to your Lord, Jesus Christ, your Savior, the blessing just flows. And it comes down to that. And so we come down to some business, some practical application. As I come to the close of this sermon, I... I have to kind of lead into this. I understand that that there will be a prayer team that will be here. And it may be that the Holy Spirit has brought to mind some things, and you say, I need, I need to, to set the record straight, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll work on it tomorrow morning. No. You do it now. And you do it here. And you do it before God. And you do it in prayer. And so for those who have been violated by theft, the hands, you raised them already earlier this morning. God feels your hurt. He knows the anxiety that that, that it has caused in your life. And it has undercut your ability to trust other people. And yet life continues and he invites you now to turn to him knowing that God's provision will be sufficient It is enough for you now to be content. That may be one application that you take to heart. For some of you have, in fact, lingered with that hurt. Allow God to touch that and heal that. To let let you know that his grace is sufficient for you. But for all of us then, it may be a time for righteousness and holiness to take it seriously and to realize that we are in fact new creatures in Jesus Christ, created in his image and for his purposes. And it is his purpose now for us to set things straight and make things right. There's no preacher, I can never ever come to you and tell you exactly what you should do, but I do know the Holy Spirit will move your heart 
to make things right. And in that, there will be revival. You shall not steal. Would you pray with me? And gracious Heavenly Father, this is straight from your heart. It's how you actually ordain things to be. And yet, Lord, even as you plan this world, we realize that sin, uh, that sin has twisted that plan. And it's so important for us, Lord, having walked through this twisted world, to come before you and in worship, have you iron out the wrinkles of our soul. And as you iron out those wrinkles, even this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, things emerge. Maybe it is pain that some have of having have been taken advantage of, of having, having been hurt. I pray that, Lord, out of the abundance of your grace, you would bring comfort to their hearts. But, Lord, we also confess that we become a little bit ragged in the way in which we go about our business. And Lord, we realize that we no longer live, but that you live in us and that the life we live in the flesh, we do now live by faith in the, in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And that, Lord, your name is at stake in the living of our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in us and through us, so that, Lord, we might be able to confess. And in the confession that, Lord, we might understand that forgiveness, and that then we would be freed, Lord, to make things straight and right, knowing that, Lord, you bless that act, and glory is given to your name. So we would be your people, Lord, obedient to your claim in our lives. We would be your people, we pray, in the wonderful and the glorious name that is ours, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.